oh God, that we might see the King of Angels too. To realize that one day, one day, by your grace, we will sing those words, I have just seen Jesus. Grant, Holy Father, that until that day, and particularly at this moment, His Spirit will reveal Himself in our midst through Holy Scripture. Let today's teaching be clear for all of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you like a surefire method by which you may engage the companionship of your guardian angel? I so much wish I could say a surefire method by which you can engage a conversation with your guardian angel. But the further we proceed into this little mini-series of four parts, the more concerned I am that somewhere along the way we might become so enamored with this thought that we have a 24-7 supernatural being who is standing beside us night and day. Especially after last week's teaching when we noted that we probably in this life will not have that kind of proximity with any other person on this planet like we will have with our guardian angels. I'm concerned that kind of as as an emotional response, we'll try to engage, make some sort of contact with him. I told you last week about a woman who was sitting in this church and she handed me a note after the service was over at the back door and she said, Pastor, I saw an angel standing beside you when you were preaching. I believe in guardian angels. I believe she saw a guardian angel. Do I feel close to my guardian angel? Let me put it this way. There are times when I sense His presence. But because we also have unguardian angels, hence the vulnerability. Because if you open your mouth and say, Angel, I want to talk to you right now, you immediately expose yourself to someone else who could step right and say, Whoa, you were calling for me, were you? I'm here. What would you like? And that unguardian angel seeks only one with passion, only one agenda your destruction. Through deception, your destruction. Don't talk to your angel. Talk to the king of angels. Trust me, when you're in trouble, he'll move every angel in his, in his palace to assist you. He'll take care of you. But I want to come back to that question. Would you like a surefire method by which you can engage in the companionship, companionship with your guardian angel? I want to share that with you right now. A biblically attested avenue whereby you and your guardian angel can be drawn into direct and and earnest companionship. I cannot visually prove to you what you are about to study in Scripture, but I can attest, personally attest, that in fact it is true. Open your Bible with me, please, to the theme text for today's teaching. In the New Testament, the little book of 1 Peter. Find 1 Peter in your Bible. You didn't bring a Bible. Oh, you've got to follow this. Grab the pew Bible in front of you and find it on page 814. I'll be in the New International Version today in this teaching. The New King James is the translation you'll grab when you reach for the pew, page 814. Take a look at this. It just, it just keeps building. Watch this. First Peter, let's pick it up in verse 10. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, he's just been talking about Calvary and he's been talking about the, the, the glorious gospel. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you 
Long ago, these prophets searched intently and with the greatest care, verse 11, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. Because you see, their mood, men of old moved by the Holy Spirit are sensing there's coming a Redeemer, a Savior. They're trying to, to ascertain, get a sense of this, trying to find out, verse 11 again, the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted through them the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Calvary's coming. Calvary's coming. Verse 12. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves. It's not for you. It's going to come after you. No, they were serving you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And here comes the punchline. Even angels. Can you believe this? Even angels long to look into these things. So here's the question. What are these things that the angels long to look into? What did we just read? The theme of salvation. The gospel of grace. Christ's sufferings and the glories that would follow. The angels long to look into the story, that old, old story that you and I have become so familiar with. And by the way, that word for long, that's not some little tepid, well, I kind of would like to. Are you kidding? That Greek word, epithumeo, can be translated deep desire, Deep longing and hold on to your pew because get this, just one page back, James chapter 4, verse 2, the New King James actually translates that word lust. That's how strong the word is. So when the angels long, when they long to look into the, to the grand theme of Calvary and salvation, it is with a passionate desire that can be described almost in sexual terms. Given we're a generation driven by our sexuality... We can plug in, perhaps, to understand that kind of depth. Even the angels long to look into these things. By the way, that word for look goes right back to the song that Kaylee and Christina were singing. That was Resurrection Sunday morning. You know that song. That's Mary saying, I just saw Him. That word, both Luke and John, in telling the resurrection story, used that very same word that Peter does. In fact, John who is telling about himself without giving his own name, says he raced to the tomb ahead of Peter. You remember that? He beat Peter. He gets there, but he's too, too much in awe of sacred space. He won't go in. Peter will go barging in. Peter doesn't care what sacred space is. He goes in. But John says he looked, he bent over and looked, peered into that, that shadowy darkness. That's the word Peter uses. So that when the angels come to this grand theme of Calvary, what do they do? They, they bend over. They, they look with, with sacred awe and reverence. I tell you what, if you, slid, if you slid a cut diamond on this countertop in front of me right now, that's exactly what I would do. I wouldn't touch it. Are you kidding? With that kind of value? But I would lean over. I would bend over. And with awe, whoa, that treasure. That's how the angels respond to the diamond of the everlasting gospel. Isn't that something? They long to bend over and examine it. Just one line from Scripture, ladies and gentlemen. But from that one line, we sense the intensity with which the salvation story preoccupies these 24-7 supernatural beings who have been assigned to us, as we learned last week. So what do we know so far? I want us to lock in just this this bit of teaching that we've had by taking our study guide. Take your study guide. It's in your worship bulletin right now. Pull your study guide out. Let's lock it in right now. Ushers, where are you? Bless you. Thank you. We've got friendly ushers here. Hold your hand up. If several of you came in with one worship bulletin, you're going to want to have this study guide for yourself. 
up in the balcony as well. Good. And in overflow, those of you in overflow, just make sure that an usher there gets uh, one of these study guides to you as well. And oh, by the way, those of you who are watching on uh, television, we're delighted to have you. Let me put a website on the screen for you and you can go and get actually this identical study guide. There you see it on the screen right now. www.pmchurch.tv That's the website for today's teaching. The website for this television ministry. You go there and you're looking for the, the little mini-series called Primer, A Primer on Angels. This is a little four-parter. And by the way, don't you miss the final piece. Don't miss next weekend. And if you're here and you haven't picked up the first two pieces, you can go to that website the other two pieces are already there, video cast and a podcast. You can get those where it says study guide. You're looking for today's teaching instructors of truth where it says study guide. Click on there. You'll have the same study guide we do and you can fill it in as we go. Let's go. All right. Let's lock in the, the uh, Peter's point. First Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 12. Even angels long. Now notice these bracketed It's to help uh, us understand. Even angels long with a passion akin to sexual desire. Yeah, we just found that out. See James 4, 2 for the very same word. For a passion akin to sexual desire, angels long to look into, keep your pen moving, as in bending over to examine a glittering diamond. They long to bend over and look, examine these things. What things? The sufferings of Christ. Fill that in. And the glories, of the, the glories that would follow. In other words, the story of salvation. Even the angels. Even the angels. See that? Even the angels desire to look into these things. So I've got to ask you, listen, help me out here. Why, why would sinless beings who need no Savior, why would, they be inter- why would they be moved passionately to examine the story of Calvary? What's up with that? In fact, do you know what? You take the Bible's, the one book in the Bible that mentions angels more than any other single book, and that would be the book of Revelation. Notice the theme of their singing in heaven. I'll put it on the screen for you. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then John writes, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, in the Greek, megalephone, in a megaphone voice, in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And here comes a sevenfold doxology to receive one power, two wealth, wisdom, Wisdom, three, four, strength, five, honor, six, glory, and praise. They sing of Calvary. They sing of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb to receive praise. I mean, they never sinned. The ones that are singing have never sinned. The ones that are tracking you, that other unguardian angel, oh, you bet they've sinned. But not these. Why are they preoccupied with something they really, can they understand salvation? How can you understand it if you haven't experienced it? It's like that old hymn. Come on, old timers. You remember this hymn. I'm not expecting any university student here to be able to know these words. But it's, these are the words of Johnson Oatman Jr. I'll put it on the screen for you. You remember this hymn? Holy, holy is what the angels sing. Sing it with me. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing redemption story... They will fold their wings, for angels never fail to rejoice that our salvation brings. They don't know. They don't know. How can they sing that which they do not know? I'll show you why. Uh, this, this is a 
From that classic on the life of Jesus, Desire of Ages. In fact, you have to fill this in. Would you please? Desire of Ages. You have it there in your study guide. Our little world is the lesson book of the universe. God's wonderful purpose of grace. Write that in. God's wonderful purpose of grace. The angels love grace. The mystery of redeeming love. Oh, they love the mystery of God loving a fallen human race. The mystery of redeeming love is the theme into which angels desire to look. And hold on. It will be their study. They don't understand it, but it's going to be their study through endless ages. And by the way, not only the angels, you and me one day, hallelujah, both the redeemed and the unfallen beings will find in the cross of Christ their science and their song. In the cross. In the cross. Their science and their song. It will be seen that the glory shining from the face of Jesus is the glory of self-sacrificing love. In the light from Calvary, it will be seen that the law of self-renouncing love is a law of life for earth and heaven. It's for everybody. Even on fallen angels. Their science and song forever and ever. Amen. How did Peter put it? Even the angels long to look into these things. So here's the question. Here's the question. So how do you suppose our angels react? All right. When our angels are staying by us, I can't see your angel and you can't see mine. But how do you suppose our angels react when for some fleeting moment there's just a spark inside of us? The thought of Calvary, a picture of the cross. I don't know, maybe we're driving by a church and we see, we see a cross on the steeple. And in that instant, something happens inside of us. How do you suppose the angels respond to that little flicker inside of us? I mean, how do you think? Do you, do you ever go on the Internet? Do you ever go on the Internet and find something that is so astounding? You can't believe it. You, you can't keep this to yourself. And so you send, you, you send the, uh, the, the address. You tell a friend. When you have found what really stirs up your heart, you can't keep it to yourself. You just can't. I'm reading a book right now. I had to, uh, to uh, make a trip this last week out to PUC and back. And I'm reading this book. It's written by Sig V. Tonstad. It's called The Lost Meaning of the Seventh Day. I'm telling you the truth. I've done a little bit of reading. I have never read a book so, so, so poetic and so significant in its examination of the Bible teaching of God's gift of the Sabbath. I'm thinking to myself. And a friend of mine read it first and recommended it to me. So I keep thinking, I've got to call him up. I've got to say, hey, did you, did you read this one? Isn't this something? When you have a kindred spirit and you light upon the same revelation, your hearts both leap. So when your heart leaps with the cross, what do you, how do you think your angel responds? Right there at that moment. Good. You go. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You're going somewhere. Come into Calvary. Come in. Why? Because they were all there. They saw it. First person. That mind-numbing, heart-stopping moment when the King of Angels and the King of Sinners gives up His life, willing to do it forever and ever to save the human race. They were there. When you go to Calvary, boom! Come here. Come. I love this line. I love this from uh, Great Controversy. This apocalyptic classic. You got it in your study guide. It is the office. That means that's what they're supposed to be doing. It is the office of heavenly angels to prepare the heart so to, so to comprehend God's Word that we shall be charmed. I love this. Charmed with the Bible's beauty, admonished by the Bible's warnings, or animated and strengthened by the Bible's promises. 
angels are round about those who are willing to be taught. Would you write that in, please? That's their mission. That's their office. You got a teacher. You got a teacher beside you right now. Angels. How did that go? Angels are round about those who are willing to be taught in divine things. And in the time of great necessity, they will bring to your remembrance the very truths that you need. You're in the public marketplace. You may be a member of ASI. You may not be a member of ASI. It doesn't matter at this moment because somebody has just asked you a question and the door is wide open for you to say a word on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that split second, you have an angel there who's saying, Go! Say this. Just like that. Just like that. That's their, that's their mission. That's their office. If a heart is beginning to flicker three feet away from you and the angel gets you to get their attention, go! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but I, I, I thought, Dwight, I thought that Jesus said in uh, John 16, verse 13, didn't Jesus say on the eve of His crucifixion, That when He, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, He will lead you into all truth. Yes, He did say that. That is precisely the mission of the Holy Spirit Himself. But I want to share a line with you that I've never shared with anybody since I first heard this line. One of my seminary professors, when I was here in the theological seminary, he gave a lecture. He made a point in a lecture that I have never forgotten, and I've brooded over this point ever since. Raoul Detteren, in the middle of a lecture, he remarked to the class, How closely, here here was his remark, how closely the Holy Spirit partners with the angels in God's mission on earth. Now, I know that if he had been teaching this class a few years later, he'd have used a metaphor. Because back in my seminary days, there was no such thing as a personal computer. They had just invented electricity. And so there was, how could you have a computer yet? You just got electricity. But as as I brooded over this notion about the Holy Spirit strategically working through angels, it occurs to me that computers would illustrate it perfectly. Because what do you have with a computer? You have this brilliant main mainframe, right? We got one here on this campus. Big, huge mainframe. And then all the rest of the little laptops can be networked into that mainframe. Isn't that right? That's the big storage device. That's where all the knowledge in the universe, so to speak, is, is, is contained. When you think of the Holy Spirit, the mind of the eternal, as that mainframe, all the data in the universe, God possesses in His heart and mind. If you imagine the angels to be these little laptop networked to the mainframe creatures, then that means that they are tapped into all of that knowledge. They don't carry it themselves. They don't need it themselves. But when they do need it, the mainframe who is tracking the entire universe with His watchful eye provides precisely what she needs, precisely what that man needs right now. And that angel becomes an extension. I just read late last night, I came across this, uh, this is something. Through channels which we cannot discern, God is in active communication with every part of His dominion. He doesn't have to be there to be in communication with every part of His dominion. So that professor's thought, how closely the Holy Spirit works through angels. Ah, it stirs me up. You think about it. Isn't that what happened in the Bible? Isn't that what happens over and over? In fact, let me share two key stories, just just two key lines from Scripture. Let's go to the book of Daniel. You remember this great prayer, Daniel 9, one of the greatest prayers in all of Holy Scripture. You'll not read a more penitential prayer than this one. 
considered one of the classic prayers. While, and so his prayer, has, he's just said amen in verse 19. While I was speaking, and he's asking God to reveal truth to him. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, that would be for Jerusalem. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man, we know that's the angel, that took Lucifer's place. Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. That would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He, Gabriel, instructed me and he said to me, Hey, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight. Whoa! You see what the mission of an angel is? You see what the office of an angel is? I have now come to give you insight and understanding. That's what we do. I'm here. Look at this next line. As soon as you began to pray, oh, I love this. The moment you lift your voice and your heart to God in that instant, God sends an answer. God doesn't come Himself. God doesn't come Himself. He sends an angel. Isn't that something? He sends an angel. An answer was given. As soon as you began to pray, who did the answer come from? Of course, it came from God. An answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly beloved, as the King James says, greatly loved. Therefore, Daniel, consider the message and understand the vision. Isn't that amazing? The moment he begins to search the Scripture, down from heaven comes an angel. I have the answer. Wow. And by the way, it's the same way with John. Look at this. Just one one verse. The very first verse of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And now watch this. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Angels are strategic. In the mission of God to instruct us, to teach us, to open our eyes to what truth is. There it is. I tell you what, anytime you open the Bible, even get near the Bible. You just come walking near the Bible and that angel can start moving on you. Go, go, go. Stop, stop. Open the book. Open the book. Open, open the Look at that. Sacred history is replete with angels doing this. Let me give you a familiar story. You're going to jot these down there. I'm going to share four, four little stories with you. Jot the first one down, Martin Luther. These are examples from sacred history of angels in direct fulfillment of their office to teach us. This is Martin Luther. Great things can happen, by the way, in a university library. We got one on this campus, one of the great libraries of, of the nation. And we are so privileged. So Martin Luther, you remember this story? Martin Luther is moving through the library. He's doing some doctoral research. He's moving through the library and then he sees a Bible chained, chained. He can't have the Bible himself. Nobody has a Bible. Nobody reads the Bible. He's walking by the Bible and that angel just said, Hey, Luther, hey, Martin, take a look at that. And here's what happens. This little quotation, you have it in your study guide. While examining the books in the library of the universe, university, rather, he, Luther, discovered a Latin Bible. Angels of heaven were by his side and rays of light from the throne of God revealed the treasures of truth to his understanding. He would become the mighty reformer to ignite the Protestant Reformation. And it started with angels saying, hey, boy, come on, slow down. Look at this book. Isn't this something? Ever seen one of these? He would eventually end up translating the book into the vernacular of his mother tongue into German. Wow. Oh, by the way, in the, in the, in the diet of, of worms, remember when he's defending his faith? And I have this picture where I have worship every morning. I got this painting of Martin Luther standing in, in defense of his faith. These words 
Describe that moment. Had the eyes of the assembly at Worms been opened, they would have beheld angels of God in the midst of them, shedding beams of light athwart the darkness of error and opening minds and hearts to the reception of truth. End quote. Isn't that amazing? Angels strategic in igniting the mighty Protestant Reformation. So that's example number one. Martin Luther, write it down. This one will surprise you. Example number two, the Pilgrim Fathers. This was a surprise to me. The Pilgrim Fathers? You remember them. Yeah, here's a quotation. Speaking of the Pilgrim Fathers, they trusted the Lord's promises and He did not fail them in time of need. His angels were by their side to encourage and support them. That's a little bit of our own history, isn't it? Angels moving the course of history forward. Number three, jot this one down. William Miller. Ever heard of him? I tell you, I wish he had been here. Uh, I don't know if you were. I hope you were. This church was packed to the back wall and the the, uh, youth chapel. We had Martin Doblemeyer, the Roman Catholic uh, documentary film producer, who showed for us, first showing in Michiana, last Saturday night, The Adventists, the name of that PBS special that is now crossing the nation on PBS this month. Crossing the nation this month. In The Adventists, Doblemeyer, through some actors, sets up the William Miller story. It's this Baptist farmer who's studying his Bible, makes a discovery. That's what this, this, this quotation is all about. By the way, this, this quotation is written by a woman who was influenced, who sat when she was just a teenager at the feet of this revival preacher named William Miller. I saw, see the quotation there, I saw that, that God sent His angel to move upon the heart of a farmer who had not believed the Bible, because he was a skeptic, and led him to search the prophecies. Angels of God, plural, repeatedly visited that chosen one and guided his mind and opened his understanding to prophecies which had ever been dark to God's people. The commencement of the chain of truth was given him, and he was led on to search for link after link until he looked with wonder and admiration upon the Word of God. And you know the, what, what historians call this Millerite movement up and down the east coast of the United States. This was the Baptist farmer who was the, at the leading edge of it. You know what? You, don't, you not only make friends, you, you make enemies fast. One night he's preaching in the church, teaching what he's discovered. A mob has gathered outside the church and there are some men in the mob that are determining tonight William Miller will meet his maker. They're in the crowd when he emerges from that service in that church. Here's the quotation. The opposition manifested by church members toward his message emboldened the baser classes to go to greater lengths. And enemies plotted to take Miller's life as he should leave the place of meeting. But hold on. Holy angels were in the throng. And one of these, in the form of a man, took the arm of this servant of the Lord, William Miller, and led him in safety straight through that angry mob. I'm not surprised. Isn't that something? It's their mission. Protect truth. Final example. I couldn't leave this one out. Write it down. Number four, Ellen White. Write it down. As the prophetic ministries of both Daniel and John have reminded us, angels are vital in a prophet's mission. In fact, I want to share this with you. This is fascinating. Did you know that angels are linked directly to the spirit of prophecy? Watch this. This would be Revelation chapter 19. Put it on the screen for you. Then the angel said to me, John, all right, this is his his attending angel. Right. John, right. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb at the end of time. And he added, these are the true words of God. And John is so overwhelmed that he does what we naturally want to do. He falls down at his feet to worship him. You never talk to an angel. You never never worship an angel. But he's overwhelmed. And immediately he said to me, don't do it. 
I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Listen, John, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Angels are integral to the operation, always have been, of the spirit of prophecy. Amazing. And so for a young adult named Ellen White, here's this testimony. You have it in your study guide at the age of 17. A heavenly visitant came and spoke to me saying, I have a message for you to bear. Why? I thought there certainly must be a great mistake somewhere. Again, we're spoken the words. I have a message for you to bear. Write out for the people what I have given to you. Years later, she described physically this heavenly attendant. Hear the words. I dreamed that a young man of noble appearance. A young man of noble appearance came into the room where I was immediately after I had been speaking. This same person has appeared to me before in important dreams to instruct me from time to time during the past 26 years. I recognized him. So what does this have to do with you and me? That's what you're asking. Come on, Dwight. I mean, great stories, but what's this have to do with us? Third millennium. I'll tell you what. You know that method? That surefire method? That will link you, immediately engage you with your guardian companion. You know that method? Here's the method. This is it. Jot it down, will you please? Nothing. You see that there? Nothing will draw you into closer companionship and more personal communion with your 24-7 supernatural guardian than the regular and strategic practice, write these words down, of studying God's Word with prayer. Please don't leave with prayer off. Studying God's Word with prayer. Nothing. Nothing. So, Dave, we were just talking a moment ago about you having a classroom full there in Hisdale. That means that room is packed with people you can't see. And their mission is to guide in the teaching so that what is being shared from Scripture will be planted deep in those hearts. And Matt, Matthew, when you go down to uh, Chile, you stay right there in Indy, wherever you open your mouth. In that instant, that companion is there. To give you wisdom so that the sea can take heart and root. Wow, isn't that something? There's no single other human activity that so intimately connects the human with the divine than the reading of Holy Scripture with prayer. Every time I pick this book up, my angel's right there. Whoa, there he goes again. Go, get into it. Don't, don't be so hurried. Slow down, boy. Slow down. And by the way, every time you and I gather and worship, in this setting here, you got a Bible on your lap? Every time we gather, what do you suppose is happening? These companions we cannot see. Don't you suppose when we gather in corporate worship, angels are present to facilitate? Come on, look at that. And you know what? I have people walking through this line. It's true. I have people walking through this door, and they say, you know, Pastor, that was something else. And they make a point that I never for the life of me made at all. What's up with that? Because the closer companion knows exactly the point that needs to be made and and juxtaposes that moment. And a split second gives a message that had nothing to do with what that sermon was about. At least that's what I thought. Listen, they're here. Don't talk to them. Thank the King of Angels for them. Never to leave you 24-7. Wow. So what's that mean? That means we've got to turn to this book. We've got to go to this book. You want, you want companionship? You want companionship? Just go to the book. Every time you go to the book, you have the companionship. You have it. 
Every time your heart opens to the thought of God, every, every time there's a longing to understand truth, man, God, this is so deep for me. Can you, can you help me? You have companionship. Daniel had it. John had it. Jesus had it, as we learned last time. You have it. You have that companionship at your side, drawing you, not to himself, never to himself, always draws you to the Savior. I want to end with this quotation. A century ago, these words were written. I love this. This is a keeper. With the Word of God in his hands, every human being... I've got to hold this in my hands. With the Word of God in his hands, every human being, wherever his lot in life may be cast, may have such companionship as he shall choose. In its pages, she may hold converse or conversation with the noblest and best of the human race. And she may listen to the voice of the Eternal as He speaks with men and women. As He studies and meditates upon the themes into which the angels desire to look, He may have their companionship. There's the key word. He may have, you and I may have their companionship. And then, hold on to your pew, the voices that will greet Him in heaven. This is what's so amazing. The voices that will greet Him in heaven are the voices of the holy ones who unseen were on earth His companions. Write that down. Apparently, just as it was in sacred history, when this supernatural being attends to your side and communes with your mind, apparently there's a voice that is unique to that communication. You hear the voice. What did we just read? You hear the voice. Voices will greet Him in heaven. Our voices of the holy ones who unseen were on earth His companions. Voices that hear, she learned to distinguish and to love. You don't even know that you love that voice. You just know you hear that voice. And that voice always speaks comfort and strength to you. That voice always is on your side. You hear that voice. He who through the Word of God has lived in fellowship with heaven will find himself at home in heaven's companionship. End quote. Ladies and gentlemen, let me end with this picture. Let me end with this picture. I need you to picture this in your mind. Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. He's on this fiery cloud as the Gospels and the Apocalypse describe it. He's on this fiery cloud with 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels. You're there. Whether you were resurrected in the resurrection or you're alive when Jesus comes, immaterial now. You're alive. You're there. And as you're looking on this stupendous revelation of God, you hear. You will hear. You will hear a voice behind you. And the voice will sound familiar. And your heart will tell you, I know that I know that voice. And when you turn around, there He will be standing, smiling at you. A young Prince of Heaven who from your first breath and first step has stayed with you every day and night of your life. You will meet the voice you recognize one day. And He will take you to Him, the King of angels. Hallelujah and Amen. What do you say? Hallelujah and Amen. Let's stand as we pray.
Oh God, we are in a domain and we are in territory that is beyond us, beyond our comprehension. And yet, with a heart of faith, we choose to believe what Holy Scripture teaches. Instructors of truth. You've covered the earth with them. Each of us granted the 24-7 companionship of a supernatural being who with every breath and every step will continue to journey with us. Oh God, it's the King of angels we wish to worship. It's the King of angels we wish to thank. One day we will sing it. I have just seen Jesus. Till that day, dear Father, please, don't let them go. Keep them beside us to protect us, to guard us in all our ways, and to teach us in all Your truth until that day when the voice we have heard we shall meet face to face and spend as companions the rest of eternity together with Jesus. In whose name we thank You. Let all the people say, Amen. And amen.